Good morning, everybody. Uh, well, there's one announcement that I wanted to uh, share, and that is the uh, getting to know the gathering place this afternoon. And uh, if this is a church that you would like to learn more about, or a place that in the middle school, you're excused, and uh, a place you would like to become a part of and uh, join or learn more about this afternoon, we got a free lunch and tacos. Who doesn't like tacos? And so uh, right after at 1 o'clock, it's in your bulletin, the address. And if you're going to go and you haven't signed up yet, or we don't know you're coming already, you haven't told us, just text the number that's in the bulletin. Otherwise, you'll watch us eat in front of you. So, All right, let's welcome the Holy Spirit, the teacher, and let's get into this. Jesus, we love you. Unashamed of you. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. Thank you for illuminating us. Just ask the Holy Spirit right now. Say, open my spiritual eyes, my spiritual ears, my spiritual heart. Just ask him right now. Just ask him. He needs to be invited. He'll do what only he can do when you invite him to do it. The Apostle Paul prayed that the Ephesian church would receive the spirit of wisdom and revelation and knowledge of God so they would know what they had from God. They had it, but they didn't know it. So Lord, open our eyes in this place today. Take us deeper into you, in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. amen. We're in a, a powerful series right now called Identity Theft. It happened, started in the Garden of Eden where Satan robbed Adam and Eve of their identity and there's been confusion and wars and conflict ever since. And uh, when you are insecure about who you are as a human being, it affects every relationship in your life. It affects your, your destiny. It affects your accomplishments. It affects your relationship with the Lord. It affects your relationship with yourself. It affects your relationship with the devil. The one where, not like you're friends with him, but that you... Don't let him push you around. You push him around. So um, when we, without a healthy biblical self-image, we become preoccupied with ourselves, concentrate on our own needs, and we constantly position ourselves in order to be accepted by others. So I'm going to give you a, a little illustration here. Of t- the Bible says this, uh, that we are to run a race to run our spiritual race with our eyes on who? Come on, say it out loud. Not a trick question. Easy answer. I'm giving you softballs this morning to start with. We're to run our spiritual race. Run our race with our eyes focused on Jesus. Everybody say Jesus. Okay, I'm going to help you with this first fill in the blank. His name's Jesus. We're his people. He says in the book of Hebrews, run your race looking at Jesus, the author and the finisher. You and I, when we are insecure about who we are in God's economy, and we try to run our race looking at our belly buttons, well, first I want to show you what it looks like if you run your race with your eyes straight ahead, looking at Jesus so you know who you are and running the race God set before you. Watch these two uh, Olympic athletes running their race, looking straight ahead. Here Here comes the video. Go! Okay. Well, Come on! That's it's a race! Go! Go! Okay, run, turn your run, head run. to Come the on. left. Come on! Faster! Faster! Go! 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 Oh! Oh! oh. Come on! Come on! Come on! <laughs> You're stuck, dude! Let's go! Okay, now that was the on. second video, which is what it looks like when you are trying to run your race in life looking down. I told them, you're only allowed to look at your belly button. It's called navel-gazing when you are running. That's what so many of us look like 
at work and our marriages and our relationship with God where we are navel-gazing and we are trying to figure out who we are and we have these insecurities, we're all over the map. But if you look straight ahead, if you know who you are in God and you know your destiny, you know your calling, you know you're anointed, you know you're a well-loved child of God, it looks more like this, still sideways, sorry about that, but it's uh, a lot clearer. Set, go! Come on! Run, run, now, run, 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 rather... go, 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 Life's a race, man, come on. Go, Joe, go, go, go. Wouldn't you rather run your go. race? Go ahead, you can, don't patty cake, give these guys a hand. That was amazing performance. The sideways video was my fault. I'm not a videographer, and I gave that to the media team, and they did the best they could with what I offered. Here's the truth. Our doing flows from our being. Say it out loud. Say, my doing flows from my being. We were not created as human doings. We were created as human beings. And so you're first a being, and then you're a doing. God created them male and female in his image. And then he said, be fruitful and multiply. Take dominion over the earth. And so you've got to get the being right first, and then your doing flows out of that. So where do we get our identity from? Last week, we looked at four funny mirrors. We looked at um, the four sources of our self-worth that don't work. They mutate your personality. Uh, we looked at getting your self-worth from other people's opinions of you. We looked at getting your self-worth from your own opinion of you. We looked at getting our self-worth from uh, the created world as though we came from the earth, which we did not. We are The Bible said we looked at a created a little lower than God, not a little higher than the apes. And then we looked at uh, getting your self-worth from your own performance and positions and possessions, which go up and down like this. So we're going to reject those four sources of our self-worth. Other people, ourselves, uh, Mother Earth, and our own performance, possessions, and positions. So... Now we're going to look at four God mirrors today. These are the sources that you and I are to get our self-worth from so that we can run our race clean and forcefully. The first one is the Word of God. Everybody say the Word of God. Come on, say it out loud. Say the Word of God. The Word of God is where we get our our primary source of our self-worth. And it's so true that it's been under attack from the very beginning. As soon as God made Adam and Eve, and he said, you're made in my image, you're made male and female, here's your destiny, here's your assignment, here's your garden. Immediately, the devil, the liar, Jesus called him. Jesus called the devil the father of lies. Immediately, what did Satan do? He came to Eve and said, did God say? The first thing Satan did was attack the Word of God, and he's been doing it ever since. If he, and I, if he can get you and I off the Word of God, he can get us off our destiny. Look what the Word of God says about the Word of God. James 1, 23 and 24. This is Jesus' brother, half-brother. They grew up together. For if you listen to the Word and don't obey it, it is like glancing at your face in a mirror. Isn't that interesting? Calls the Word of God a mirror. You see yourself walk away and forget what you were like. 
How many times a day do you look in the mirror? Think about it. Think about how often you look in the mirror. Do you know they did a study at, uh, at a university where there was, these, this, there was this building on campus with these huge reflective windows? And so, you know, on the inside, you're looking outside, and you see people walking by. On the outside, they can't see inside because they're reflective. And so this, uh, this group of students did a little, um, a little uh, test, and they wanted to see who looked at themselves in the reflective windows more, men or women. Who do you think? The dudes. Yeah, this group of students sat in there and just watched all, all day long while these students were walking back and forth. And it's the guys that would look in the mirror and check themselves out more than the women. Think about how often people look in the mirrors. This week, when you look at it, when you think about it, look, just catch yourself. How many times do you look in the mirror? Have you ever tried to get, uh, ever tried to get ready in the dark because you want your spouse to be able to sleep and not wake up with the light? And you walk out with a different, different color socks or your hair's sticking up, you're, you missed a spot shaving. Or as Hope shared on Mother's Day, God forbid, I would never do this in the pulpit, but she already did it. When she told Sam to stop using the, uh, the baby wipes to, um, to um, do what you got to do when you're in there doing what you're doing. And uh, don't take, don't throw, flush those down the toilet. It's not good for the septic tank. So he obeyed and he used it and put it back into the baby wipe. So when she got up in the dark and she couldn't see because she didn't want to wake me up, she pulled uh, a wipe out of the baby wipes and she wiped her face with it. And then she began to smell something. This is what happens to us. We walk around with the stank on us if we don't look into the Word of God and let it define us rather than letting other people define us. Can I hear an amen? Amen. Turn to the person next to you and say, you don't want that stank on you. Just turn. Say, you better get into the Word of God. Tell them. Not reading the Word daily is like never looking into the mirror. But the opposite is true. If you look into the Word of God on a daily basis, multiple times a day, you will see who you truly are, and you won't forget it. When the devil comes beating on your thoughts about who you are or who you aren't, pull out the Word of God and use it on him. Psychologists say that 80% of our self-talk, which we talk to ourselves all the time, constantly criticizing ourselves, that was dumb. Why'd you do that? You screwed up. We all do that. We're all a part of that. Raise your hands if you ever criticize yourself. Go ahead. Raise your hands if you have these critical thoughts about yourself. Yeah. Okay, and then you got the devil doing it, and then maybe you have your spouse doing it, and maybe you have your boss doing it, maybe you have, quote, a friend doing it. And so we constantly have this negative input. We have got to feed ourselves the Father's voice into our brain so we know who we are. You and I cannot know who we are without looking into the Word of God. The Bible says that the Word of God is a mirror. So when you're looking at the Word of God, you literally are looking in the mirror. And you're seeing who God says you are. But you know what else you're seeing? You're seeing who you are going to be. When Jesus was talking to Peter, he said, 
Peter, who do, who do people say that I am? Well, some say John the Baptist, you know, raised from the dead. Some say Elijah. And Jesus, who had walked with John already, or Peter, for a couple years at this point, said, but who do you say that I am? Now catch this. Peter said, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, yeah, and you're not Simon anymore. Now your name is Peter. And I'm going to build my church on this revelation you just got, that I'm the Son of God. The word Peter literally means a piece of the rock. He called him Rocky. He said, you used to be Simon, which is a reed that can blow and bend in the wind so easily. He said, but I just changed your name. Why? He was Simon, but when he saw God for who he was, his eyes were opened. Immediately, he got upgraded into who God was making him. A blue-collar fisherman turned into one of the greatest apostles the world has ever known. To where people were literally healed just by being touched by Peter's shadow. Come on. Let God determine who you are. Not other people, not yourself, not Mother Earth, and not your position, possessions, and thank you. Somebody's listening. Praise God. Okay, listen. Now, before we move off the Word of God, which is the most powerful source, I'm going to say it again, if you're not in the Word of God, not memorizing Scripture, not looking to see who you are, there is no way you will know who you are. No way. Now here's a profound documentary, a little short snippet that I want you to see that will help emphasize this point I'm trying to make. There you are. Oh, thank goodness. What have you brought me? A book? That's a good idea. We'll have a story. A sheep and a lamb. A pig and a piglet. A hen and a chick. No, silly, it's not a duck, it's a chick. All right, it's all right. Let's have another one. A goose and a... It's you! You're a little goose! A... a gosling! So that's how you got here. You were flying in the storm. You can fly! You can fly! What is it? Oh, look! Just like the book! Go on, then! Go on, then! Bye! Bye! <laughs> Bye. Goodbye.
Now that's what you get when you raise six kids. These are the kind of illustrations that pop into your mind. We watched that video 150,000 times when we were kids. Did you get the point? If you're not in the Word of God, the devil can easily beat you around. Your thoughts will constantly be thoughts of self-doubt and insecurity and not one of authority and be able to take dominion like he told Adam and Eve to do. Look at the Bible says in the book of Colossians chapter 2, verse 8 through 10. Don't let. Everybody say, don't let. Don't let. This is on you. Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense. One translation says intellectualism. Now, let me make this very clear. Intellect, being intellectual is a gift from God. He's the most intelligent being in all the universities, universe, uh, universities yes, and universes. And his, his intellect is unlimited. And ours can be as well because the Bible says we have the mind of Christ. Intellectualism is when we think that our intellect is superior to the Word of God. The Bible says this, casting down every thought that exalts itself above the knowledge of God. That's intellectualism, is when we think that we are smarter than the Word of God. When we say, oh, it's just a history book. Oh, it was written by man. Oh, it contradicts itself. No, it doesn't. It is the Holy Spirit breathed divine Word of God. It's your Father's love letter to you, and Satan is trying to rob you of the love letter God has written to you, and the Holy Spirit will breathe on it and give you God thoughts during the week. I was talking to Sh- this week, this morning, Shane was talking about how the devil was just beating on him with his self doubts. And he got into the Word of God, and God started speaking to him these God thoughts that set him free from these lies. And so look what it says again don't let, everybody say, don't let, don't let anyone capture you like a prisoner, with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. So you also are complete through your union with Christ who is the head over every rule and authority. Now here's the truth. Satan has no authority over the Word of God. That's why he'll try to get you to ignore that book, let dust cover that book, forget about the book, lose the book, don't believe the book. If he can get you off the Word of God, he will win. But what did Jesus do when Satan attacked Jesus in the desert, when Jesus was fasting and praying for 40 days and 40 nights, Jesus has all the supernatural power at his fingertips. Could have turned Satan into a toad if he wanted to. But when Satan came at Jesus with the exact same three temptations that he came at Adam within the garden. Adam fell when he gave into the temptations that Satan brought to him. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Those three temptations are the ones he used against Adam, who, had, who was the image of God, had rulership over all the earth. Satan came in, did God say. He got him off of the word of God and, and lied to him and said, your life will be so much better if you disconnect from God and just live independently. 
that was the sin that all other sins come from. That was the root of sin. Independence from God. Live separate from him. Fish out of water. And they convinced him it would be better. And so he fell and lost the authority. What he did was he abdicated the authority God had delegated to Adam and the earth. The Bible says the heavens belong to the Lord, but he's given the earth to man. And then Adam gave it to Satan by obeying him. So when the Son of Man, the Son of God, came to the earth, God in human form, to win back our authority over the earth and over all demonic powers, Jesus had to pass the test that Adam failed. So Satan comes at him with the exact same three temptations. And Jesus could have used anything against him. But what did he use? Come on, say it out loud. The word of God. Jesus quoted scriptures that Moses wrote down. A man wrote down some words on a piece of paper or a tablet or stone or carved them in or whatever he did back then. And when Satan, this supernatural being, this fallen angel, this loser angel, attacked the Son of God, all Jesus did was quote three scriptures at him, and it says the devil left him for a more opportune time. The Bible says the Word of God is the sword of the Spirit. It's a spiritual weapon. That when you speak the Word of God, By the power of the Holy Spirit, it stabs the enemy, the spiritual forces around you. And they flee. The Bible says, submit to God. Then there's a period. Submit to God. Get that right first. Submit to God. Then resist the devil. You know what the Bible says the devil will do? Flee from you. That Greek word literally means run with your hair on fire. Isn't that amazing? That the devil, Satan, will run from you. When you're submitted to God and quoting the scriptures at him. Come on, somebody. Come on. That's why it annoys me when Christians are afraid of the devil. He should be afraid of us when we're walking in the power. So what does the word of God say about you? I put in your bulletin, and there's some extra ones out there on the, uh, on the resource table. This... Uh, little document I made many years ago, and this is just a little small portion of it. You can get the full portion on our website. These are just some scriptures about what the Word of God says about you. I'm going I'm to have you look in the mirror for a minute, okay? We're just going to do a few of these. I'm going to tell you what, who you are from the Word of God. So, Satan, I want you to listen to this too. Here we go. Who does God say you are? We're, we have this up here? We have some scriptures up here. Look at the first one, which is Genesis 1, 27. I want you to say this out loud, but here's what I want to ask you to do. Put it into the first person. Whenever I read the scriptures, I put them in the first person. So I had to read it like this. So God created me in his own image. You got to own it for yourself. If you're thinking about Adam and Eve, you're not going to connect the dots for you, right? Because they're gone. Their turn's over. It's our turn now. Same God, same planet. We're human beings too, right? So now it's our turn. It's your turn. So, so God created me in his own image. In the image of God, he created me. He made me, and you say either the male or the female part, created me. We say that? Just say, quote this out loud with me. For God created me in his own image. In the image of God, he created me. Male, he created me. Let's try it again. Here we go. 
So God created me in his own image. In the image of God, he created me. Male, he created me. Let's do the next one. That I have been crowned with glory and honor. Say that out loud. I have been crowned with glory and honor. Okay, let's read this in the first person. Yet you made me a little lower than the angels and crowned me with glory and honor. The next one, say, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Let's quote this scripture together, and we're going to do it in the first person. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. Does your soul know very well that you have been fearfully and wonderfully made? Can you see how meditating the Word of God, looking into this mirror, will obliterate low self-esteem issues? Some of you may have had people saying things about you that make you feel bad about who you are. If you've ever gone to middle school, you have. What a brutal battleground for self-esteem and self-worth. That 12, 13, 14 age gauntlet you have to go through where these hormones are exploding through your body and you're wondering who you are and what you are and you're trying to fit into your body and you can't quite walk right and you can't talk right. Get your voices going like this throughout the day. And you're just like, and then, and then you got people telling you what they think about you and you got social media these days just puts gasoline on it and got Instagram where everybody but you is perfect. That's just brutal to the self-esteem. You've got to get into the Word of God. So the first source for your self-worth, and this, let me say this, for you that might think you're making this all about us, here's the truth. When you shine, God shines. The way people will see God in the earth is by seeing Him reflected in you. The way you love, the way you trust Him, the wisdom you speak with, the contentment you walk with, these all reflect the goodness of God in your life. But if you have insecurity with God and insecurity about spiritual and insecurity about who you are and all that, you're going you're to just be awkward. and It's going to be very difficult for people to see God and your reflection. So this is not ultimately about us. It's about the glory of God. Can I hear an amen? The second divine mirror, the second God mirror is the people of God. The people of God are to be a major source of the word, the voice of God in your life. The Bible says the devil is called the accuser of the brethren. He is constantly, that critical voice in your head is him. He's constantly trying to tear you down and discourage you about who you are. Constantly remind you of your failures. That's the voice of the devil. He hates you. So the people of God, if Satan is the accuser of the brethren, the people of God are to be the encouragers of the brethren and the sisterin. We are to constantly be speaking to one another what we see in one another that's from God. We need to encourage each other. Look at the Bible says in the book of Hebrews, 
chapter 3, verse 12 through 14. So search your hearts every day, my brothers and sisters, and make sure that none of you, none of you has an evil or unbelief hiding within you. For it will lead you astray and make you unresponsive to the living God. Isn't that interesting? That when we disconnect from the Word of God and what He's saying to us, and we're led astray like, like Adam was, it makes us unresponsive to God, and we turn our back on Him. So it says this. This is the time to encourage each other to never be stubborn. Now turn to the person next to him and say, now he's talking about you. Just go ahead and tell him. <laughs> and burdened by sin's deceitfulness. Ephesians 4.29, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. But what is good for necessary building up that it may impart grace to the hearers. Look at the definition of this word corrupt. Let no corrupt word come out of your mouth. This word corrupt is decayed, rotten, as used for spoiled meat, rotted fruit, or crumbled stones. When you open your mouth, do you want spoiled meat coming out? Decayed, rotten, like flies and gnats flying all over the place. When you're negative, negative, negative Ned, negative Nancy, and it's just coming out of your mouth, speaking critical words over people around you, people aren't going to want to be around that. I sit behind a parent at a volleyball, when I watch my daughter's volleyball game, Lily here is in the front row, she's the captain of her junior varsity team. I just have to say that for me, not for you, because it makes parents look successful when their kids are captains of the junior varsity team. I'm going to get a bumper sticker, that's what I'm going to do. Volleyball is a game of mistakes. And that's what the coaches actually call the game of mistakes. And you you got to continually make adjustments. Kids are always making mistakes. Especially teens, little children all through teenage, constantly making mistakes. And and if we harp on every mistake they make, you will crush their spirit and and destroy their self-sense of competency. I mean, there, there's, uh, my kids may think I'm hard on them, but if they had any idea how much stuff I'd let go, they would just praise my name and make a statue of me. You've got to let stuff just go. You can't harp on everything. You, you crush the person. Psychologists say that, you, that human beings need nine affirmations for every one criticism. They've done research where they have students take tests and they they have this one uh, group take a test and then they criticize them about how bad they did and then they have them take another test and they even do worse. They give the same test to another group of kids and they tell them how good they did. They're not not like giving everybody a trophy for showing up, not that kind of a thing. They're looking at the answers they got right and they're focusing on those saying, yeah, but look at this answer, you got this right, you got that one right. Rather than hammering on all the ones they got wrong and they affirmed them that you can do this. And they gave them another test and guess what? They all excelled in the second test. It's positive reinforcement, not negative reinforcement. How many of you, well, some of you probably believe this, but how many of you think that God is walking around criticizing you every time you do something wrong? Okay, don't raise your hand because I don't, okay, that's not, that's not God. Be very, very 
very slow to believe anything negative about you. Yes, there's a lot of negative about you, but God is not talking to you about all your negatives all the time. That's not his voice. He, would, he knows we'd be crushed. Pastor Mark asked the Lord one day, why don't you just show me everything that's wrong with me and then just, just, just you know, fix it. And the Lord said, because you would die. He says, I reveal to you to the degree that you can endure it. And when God speaks a word to us about the ugly parts of ourselves, it's so filled with love and hope that you just feel good about it. It's just so divine how God can correct us and breathe love and hope into us all in the same breath. Anybody ever experienced that? Raise your hand if you know what I'm talking about. Isn't that amazing? That's the way we need to be. And look at this, the same verse. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary building up, that it may impart grace. That, those two words there. Isn't that powerful? Your words of encouragement to somebody literally imparts grace. The word impart means to take, like take off a jacket and put it over somebody on their shoulders. That's, to impart means to give a cloak to somebody. You're literally giving them something. What are you and I giving to one another, like this physical thing you're giving to somebody when you speak words of encouragement and affirmation? Grace. This word grace in the Greek is charis, from the root chara, which literally means joy or to rejoice. That's why charismatic, from the root word charis, charismatic churches are so full of joy. Because we invite and welcome the charises of God, the gifts of God, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. It's the same word charis for joy is gifts used with the gifts of the Spirit of prophecy and working of miracles and gifts of healings and tongues and interpretations and the words of knowledge and the words of wisdom and the presence of God. It's, the word literally is translated joy. And the joy of the Lord is our strength. Look at the Bible says about the body of Christ, the people of God. This is our second mirror we're looking at. You've got to surround yourself with godly people who will encourage you and speak the word of God and what God says about you to you. Spouses, be very careful with speaking such critical words to one another. The Apostle Paul says, if you don't stop it, you will literally devour one another. Satan wants to get a hold of your tongue. And he wants to use it, the Bible says, as deadly poison to tear human beings down. The Bible says life and death is in the power of the tongue. It says that big ships literally are moved by a little rudder in the back. Just turn the rudder and the whole ship will turn. He says your life literally is going the direction of your tongue. Why? Because God created the worlds with what? His word. He spoke in the worlds. And then he created us in his image. So our words are creative power. For life or death. So the Bible says this in Ephesians 4.16. For the body has been formed in his image. Isn't that amazing? Talking about being made in the image of God. 
It says that we've been formed in the image, the body in the image of God. You say, really? The church? The body of Christ? Is the image of Jesus? Well, the person next to you might be ruining it for everybody else, but you, you're looking good. We are being built up into the image of Christ. This is a prophetic word. For his body has been formed in his image and is closely joined together and constantly connected as one. And every member, everybody say every member. Come on, say it out loud. Every member. And say, that means me. Yeah. Every member has been given divine gifts to contribute to the growth of all. That is why the devil has tried to crush the church, tries to get people not to come to church, not to be part of a local body of believers, because every person, every believer who does not connect to the body of Christ has made the body of Christ weaker, and there's no way they'll fulfill their divine destiny. The body of Christ, the kingdom of God is not a solo sport. The kingdom of God is a team sport. I mean, you cannot win a championship on any team sport without key members. Don't have the quarterback on the field and try to win a championship. Don't have a line, middle linebacker. Don't have a fullback. Don't have ends. Don't have a kicker. It doesn't work. They pay multi-millions of dollars to have the right people in the right positions. Well, that's just a game. This is no game. This is spiritual warfare. The church of the Lord Jesus Christ is the only hope the planet has. And so when you come to Christ, he goes, and he gives you spiritual gifts. He says, now get in the game. Do your part. You cannot fulfill God's divine purpose for your life if you're not locked into a local body of believers and doing your part. Discovering your gifts and offer it to build up the body of Christ. And these gifts operate effectively throughout the whole body. We are being built up and made perfect in love. 1 Peter 4, 10 11 says this, God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. Do you have the gift of speaking? Then speak as though God himself were speaking through you. Do you have the gifts of helping others? Do it with all the strength and energy that God supplies. Then everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. All glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. Again, that is why the enemy tries to get people to ignore going to church. I'd rather be sailing. I'd rather be doing this. I'd rather be doing sports. I'd rather be at work. I'd rather be making money. And he does that because he's scared to death of the body of Christ ever operating at full strength. The third divine mirror, I'm going to move through these last two very quickly, is the Spirit of God. One is the Word of God to know who you are. Second is the people of God for you to know who you are. The connect groups, the small groups, ministry teams are the best place for that application. And the third is the Spirit of God. Romans 8, 15, and 16 says this. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by Him we cry, Abba, Father. That word in the Greek literally means daddy. Wow. 
that intimacy with the dad, with the father, with daddy, was so offensive to the religious leaders of Jesus' day that they just wanted to slap Jesus' mouth for dare addressing Almighty God as Daddy. That's why Jesus was so secure in who He was, because He was so intimate with the Father that He called Him Daddy. Isn't <laughs> that beautiful? Abba. It's the first word that a, uh, a Middle Eastern child speaks in Aramaic. Abba. Abba. That's Daddy. That's the word Jesus used when he spoke to the Father. And the Bible says when you come to Jesus, Jesus forgives you of all your sins, then breathes his spirit, the spirit of his son, into your spirit. And out of your spirit comes this Abba, Daddy. That's why when people call him the big guy in the sky or the big man upstairs, I don't, they, don't, they don't have the spirit of God yet. <laughs> they don't have that intimacy yet. They, they aren't filled with it. Look at this. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Way down in here, not here. Down in here, the Holy Spirit is letting you know in your spirit, not your mind, your spirit, I am a child of God. That's why praying in other tongues, praying in the Spirit is so important. Stirs up your spirit, communing with the Holy Spirit. And then your mind catches up with it. That's why it's so important to be in the Word of God, because then the Spirit of God takes the Word of God, and it teaches your mind what's true. Look at this scripture, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. But the people's minds were hardened. And to this day, whenever the Old Covenant is being read, the same veil covers their mind so they cannot understand the truth. This is talking about the Jewish believers who to this day, when they read the Bible, they don't understand it. I have some Jewish friends, I've been to Jewish services, and as they're reading scriptures in the Old Testament, I I mean, my, my mind is binging just banging with revelation. I know what that scripture means. I know what that's referring to. I know what that's about. I know what that means. And as they're reading through it, they're just reading through it like it's just liturgy. They're just reading through the words. And they're, it's clear that the, and the teacher's not teaching by revelation what these things mean. Because right here, it proves it. It says they do not understand it. Because there's a veil over their eyes. I had a rabbi just this week told me. Last week. He said, I preached a sermon last Saturday in synagogue here in Poway, and I preached a sermon the God I don't believe in. And he said, people came up to me afterwards and said, thank you so much, because I don't believe in him either, and I don't believe the Bible, and, and I believe more of the universe. And he said it as though he had ministered to his people. Now, it's the first time, the second time he and I had breakfast together, so I didn't like jump on it, because I want to build a friendship with him. But I also know that this is the reason why, right here. It says there's a veil over their eyes so they cannot understand the truth. And this veil can be removed only by believing in Christ. This is the Apostle Paul, the leading Jew of the first century, writing this. Yes, even today when they read Moses' writings, their heart 
covered with that veil, and they do not understand. For the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like Him. Watch this last phrase. As we are changed into His glorious image. As you are reading the Word of God and the veil has come off because you've come to Christ and He's breathed the Spirit into you, who's the author of the Word of God. As you're reading the Word of God, the Spirit of God illuminates it to you. You see who you are by looking at God. And literally, in that moment, you are being transformed into His image. It is a supernatural transformation process. Can I hear an amen? amen? The last divine mirror is the Son of God himself. As I said earlier, do you remember when I was saying that Peter looks, Simon looks at Jesus, and Jesus says, who do you say I am? And he said, in that moment, he got revelation. You're the Christ. You're the Son of the living God. See, you can walk with Jesus like Peter, Simon did for a while and not be sure. Jesus reveals himself more and more as the Holy Spirit makes him more and more real. And the more and more real Jesus becomes to you, the more and more you become like him. He said, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And he said, and you are Peter. You just got solid. And then he said this. Nobody talked you into this. Flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. This information you just got is not natural information you read out of a book or somebody talked to you and he said, this is what Jesus said, my father in heaven just revealed this to you. Woo! Oh yeah. How many of you have ever had your father in heaven reveal something to you? Raise your hands. You know that it was not natural information. It was supernatural information that just bing came into your mind and you knew God just revealed that to me. That's what happened to Peter, and it trans, was transforming him. So the more you and I see who the Son of God is, the more you and I are transformed into his image. Look at the Word of God says about the Son of God. John 1, 1 and 14. In the beginning was the Word. Here we're back at the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is the only begotten Father, full of grace and truth. Hebrews 1.3 says this. The sun is the dazzling radiance of God's splendor. The exact expression of God's true nature. His mirror image. Colossians 1.15 says this. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. John 1, 14, 9, when Philip asked Jesus, show us the Father. Jesus replies, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you for such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? And here's the good news, Romans 8, 29. For those God foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That he might be the firstborn, not being born like out of a mother's womb. Firstborn means preeminence. That he would have the preeminence of many brothers and sisters. 
They will be conformed to the image of his son. I am so much different than I was in 1982, September 21st, 1982, when I said, Jesus, I don't know if you're real or not. But if you're real, if you're who those people down at that church I visited to say you are, I'm inviting you into my life. 82, 92, 102, 112, 13, 14, 56, 17, 18, 19, 37 years ago. Wow, am I different than I was. And it's not just because I'm older, because you can get worse, you know. You can become less like Christ the older you get. I remember one day, Pastor Mark and I were driving down 15, and I said to him as my associate pastor, this was years ago, I said, Mark, we have got to be as much like Jesus as we possibly can for the body of Christ. He said, oh, I gave up on that a long time ago. I'm just trying not to be as, like the devil as much as possible. <laughs> Sometimes you feel that way about yourself, right? I'm going to close with these last two scriptures. 1 John 3, 1 through 3. What marvelous love the Father has extended to us. Just look at it. We're called children of God. That's who we really are. But that's also why the world doesn't recognize us or take us seriously. Because it has no idea what He is, who He is, or what He's up to. But friends, that's exactly who we are, children of God. And that's only the beginning. Who knows how we'll end up? What we know is that when Christ is openly revealed, we'll see him. And in seeing him, become like him. All of us who look forward to his coming, stay ready with the glistening purity of Jesus' life as a model for our own. Now, even with these divine mirrors, we still don't see God perfectly. The best glimpse we're going to get is the Word of God, the people of God, the Spirit of God, and the Son of God. But even with these divine mirrors, 1 Corinthians says this, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I am known. Oh, come, Lord Jesus, come. (laughs) Amen. Oh, child of God, friend, brothers and sisters, Christians, beat the devil's brains out. By spending time in the Word of God, with the people of God, filled with the Spirit of God, and gazing at, listening to, following, and worshiping unashamedly the Son of God as you are being transformed into His image. Amen? Now say, Devil! Take that in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Let's give God praise. Come on. Come on. Now let's rise as the children of God and let's worship our Savior Jesus. This one song. Come on, child of God, son of God, daughter of God.
Let's worship him. If you never, I'm going to call the prayer teams down front. Just move from your chairs right now. Prayer teams come down front. If you've never, listen to me now, if you've never given your life to Jesus Christ as your Savior, you may have gone to church. I was raised a Catholic, and I don't want to offend the Catholics in here listening to me or watching online. Listen, I'm going to ask you a question. If you were to die tonight, would you know that you're going to heaven? There's only two answers I've ever had for my Catholic brothers and sisters that I grew up with. Either yes, I know I'm going to heaven. I say, how do you know? Well, because I've been a good person. I've done to others as I want them to do to me. No, you haven't. You sinner. We're all sinners. The Bible says we've all fallen short of the glory of God. Have you lived a perfect life? Well, no, then you've sinned. The Bible says the penalty of sin is death. You can't do good and even out the bad. The bad, the sin, the Bible says, the scale drops down. And it says there's no hope. You cannot light a candle. You can't rub a bead. You can't burn incense. You can't do a good deed and erase sin. Sin is a permanent stain on your soul that can only be erased by the faith and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why did he die on the cross for you if you can walk off your own sins? Salvation is a free gift. By faith in Jesus and Jesus alone. The other answer I get is, well, I don't know if I'm going to heaven. Would you like to know? You can. You can absolutely know. That question mark you have in your soul can be turned into an exclamation point this morning. Jesus says this, anyone that comes to me, I will never reject. The Bible says God has given us, has given us, past tense, eternal life. And this life is in his son they that have the son have life they that do not have the son do not have life do you have the son have you asked him to be your savior if you haven't when we worship you slip down out of your chair and come down one of these prayer teams and they're going to pray with you and you're going to receive jesus as your savior and your sins are going to be immediately completely erased Every sin you've ever committed is going to be gone. The Bible says God will throw it as far as the east is from the west. It will never come back. And he will breathe his spirit into you. And you will know, I belong to Abba. I'm a child of God. For the the rest of you, some of you may be distant from God. Come back to him today. Some of you may be crippled with self-doubt and criticism. Come down and let these prayer teams pray for you and get that junk off of you. And reignite your intimacy with the Father. So as Shane, didn't Shane and Minnie do a great job for us today? Really good. First time out of the gate, Shane. Awesome. So as we worship with this one last song, come down front and receive Christ. Come back to Christ. Come down for miracles of healing. The Lord's in the house. He'll do miracles. And then when the song's done, We'll be done. If you want to come to the membership class today, text that number in your bulletin and show up so I'll talk to us for you. And either go to a connect group this week, a ministry team meeting, or I'll see you next Sunday. So after the song's over, uh, the service is dismissed. God bless you guys.
Father's house. Chosen. I am chosen, not forsaken. I am who you say I am. You are for me, not against me. I am who you say I am. And again, I am chosen. I am chosen, not forsaken. I am who you say I am. the sun. Hallelujah. 